0: your championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of from the diamond. As always, I'm Grant McCauley and it's time for another look at what's been going on with the Atlanta Braves. We got a lot to get into both with what happened on the recent road trip another extension to a key member of the Braves, and what's ahead for atlanta as they look to close out the month of september and punch their ticket to october once again with a fourth consecutive national league east division crown to help me talk about all of that and more Corey mccartney of talking chops going to join me but i want to let you know where you can find from the diamond before we get started apple podcast google podcast spotify soundcloud and stitcher leave those ratings and reviews those are always appreciated and if you want to connect with me or the show on social media, you can find me on Twitter at Grant McAuley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. You can find the show at FromTheDiamond underscore on Instagram. I'm at Grant McAuley there. The show is at FromTheDiamond. And if you want a great place to find every episode of the show, any articles and videos and other stuff I got coming your way, FromTheDiamond.com is the place to do that. So to help me talk about what's been going on for the Atlanta Braves on their recent road trip, I want to welcome Corey McCartney back into the show. You can, of course, follow him on Twitter at Corey J. McCartney. You can find his work on Talking Chop, and you can also buy a copy of his book, Tales from the Atlanta Braves Dugout, as well. Corey, we've been doing this for a little while now. We've watched the Braves play a little bit better brand of baseball here in the second half. It might have felt like a bit of a setback on this recent road trip, but a lot has been going on for the Braves, and there's a lot for us to get into on this show.
1: Yes, and you know what? Uh, you did not see the Braves leave Colorado with a series loss, which would have been their first since 2016. Charlie Morton saved the day uh, with, uh, along with some homers to, to salvage a, a split with them. So as much as I think people were looking at this as being a proving ground and looking at the after, at the Dodgers series and, and maybe seeing a letdown, the I think you got to look at getting out of a place where the Rockies had the second most home wins in baseball mm-hmm. uh, with a split is uh, is a win in its own right.
0: Yeah, I think that it is. And we're going to talk more about the Rockies series in a little bit. We will, of course, talk about the Dodgers series and the frustrations and disappointments that were speckled into that as we've seen before, or sprinkled into that as we've seen before dating back to, of course, last October Braves really would like to give the Dodgers a receipt at some point. It hasn't happened just, just <laughs> yet when it comes to winning a season series this year, they're not going to be able to do that, but, We'll see what lays ahead when we start talking about the October picture. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. And you did bring up a name that I think is pretty important and was the big news on the off day on Monday. As the Braves were uh, not in action celebrating Labor Day by getting to be labor-free, the Braves announced that they are bringing back Charlie Morton. 37-year-old veteran right-hander has provided, I think, a quality season to the Braves and bolstered Atlanta's young rotation through another year where some injuries did not allow the Braves to be where they want to be from a starting five. Morton has been very consistent. And I think given the terms of this deal, Corey, which is $20 million plus an option for another $20 million in 2023, they're not obligated to some big buyout for that either. In fact, there is no buyout. It makes a lot of sense to keep Morton right where he is, bring him back for another year. So I like this deal. And I think Morton has a better track record than some of the other recent one-year bigger money contracts that Alex Anthopoulos has been handing out to veteran starters What do you make of the extension and where do you fall on? Well,
1: I mean, I I really like it. I mean, and I think there's obviously the underscore here that Mike Soroka is not, we don't know when he's going to be back. And that's obviously comes into play at this. It felt like for, you know, a couple of years, we were watching them play this game where you would bring in the veteran to kind of supplement what they had. But Mm -hmm. all the while you're thinking, okay, well, eventually Max Fried and Mike Soroka and Ian Anderson, these guys are going to be up and, Got to just kind of turn over the keys to you know these pitchers that you've drafted and developed along the way and and kind of have that homegrown rotation. But obviously, you know, we've seen guys like Bryce Wilson come up and then be shipped out. You're not necessarily sure if Tukey Toussaint can handle you know a rotation spot full time, it's Muller ready. You know, there's just so many Mm -hmm. question marks still that I think to get that part of it out of the way and know that you have that kind of stabilizer that they always like to have in that veteran presence that's a big piece of the puzzle and to get it out of the way and to do it in very much Alex Anthopoulos approach here of getting it done early. Uh, we know how much he likes to strike early in the, the free agent market um, to get that done. I, I, think, I mean, think the timing and the other pieces, the peripherals that go into the things with this rotation and the question marks I, mean, I think this is a good move for both sides.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. If you look at him on either baseball reference or fan Charlie Morton's put up a season with a war better than three. And if you look across at the old numbers, you like to see he's 13 and five. He's got an ERA under three and a half. He's been durable. He has made it to the mound every fifth day as he's needed to. And he's right in line with what he's been doing the last few years when he really established himself as a late bloomer and one of the better pitchers in the American league. He's averaging over 10 strikeouts per nine. His walks are under control. His home runs. He doesn't allow a lot of those. And he's really put up a really strong season. And we've seen Corey, some other veteran pitchers. I can think of Justin Verlander, of course, a former teammate of Charlie Morton and some others that just at this age I mean hard throwers the kind of arsenal that they have are still durable pitchers even though they're in their late 30s and I think on a one-year deal given some of the other deals that we've seen whether it was Cole Hamels who had a little injury red flag alongside his name before he even came over to Atlanta that didn't work out Drew Smiley wasn't really an impact style signing but this signing of Charlie Morton I can see that there are a lot of reasons why the Braves should be very happy to be renewing this for another season and bringing him right back to hopefully do more of what he's been doing since 2017.
1: Think about the veterans that Alex Anthopoulos has brought in. I mean, you can say that Dallas Keuchel was effective in the amount of time that they had him, obviously not getting him for the duration of a season, but I think you kind of have to look at Morton as the most successful of these veteran uh, arms that they've brought in, in terms of what he's been able to bring to the team and for the totality of a season. The one thing I do wonder about him, though, is, look, he's 2019 through, he got close to 200 innings, which was a career high for him. And then you're looking at that, that happening at age 35. Now he's 37. He's, you know, trending towards what? Getting about 180 to 190 innings mm-hmm. this year.
0: Plus the postseason. Um,
1: plus the postseason. What, you know, what's that going to look like in a year? What's that going to look like if they pick up the option in two years? I, I, I know the, the I, I kind of, I'm trying not to get caught up in the age factor of it. But I guess I'm getting caught up in the age factor of it, but the arsenal, as you mentioned, doesn't necessarily play itself to the point where, you know, you're worrying about, you know, him injuring himself or him, you know, that, that part of it, how much the diminish it, how much going to, it's going to diminish with time. He's not necessarily of that ilk. I think, yeah, obviously, you know, the, the fastball velocity has been pretty consistent for him the past few years. I've, you know, certainly gets a lot out of the, the secondary stuff. The curveball is, is elite. So. I don't necessarily know if that's a roundabout way of me saying I, I wonder if Father Time's going to catch up and are mm-hmm. the going to be on the wrong end of that. Um, but we've seen the innings, obviously, pick up for this guy. Last year notwithstanding, we've seen the innings pick up for him quite a bit in the late stages of his career.
0: Yeah, it has, but I think that also speaks to, I mean, there were some injury setbacks for him quite a few years ago before he went on his run with the Houston Astros. Because I remember when Charlie Morton signed with the Astros after spending – A season with the Phillies in which he made just four starts He got a multi-year deal there and a lot of folks looked at that and said why are you giving multiple years to Charlie Morton well the Astros were on to something because all he did was establish himself as a top flight starting pitcher for them and then go to Tampa Bay and do more of the same so I think really when I I look at Morton and you have to look at the age I think and have a natural instinct to wonder how long is this going to last but at a one-year deal with the ability to bring him back again after that if you like the way that things are going and clearly charlie likes the way that things are going that's the kind of deal that makes sense i think for both sides and you're not tying yourself to an albatross kind of contract where hey we just gave too much money to charlie morton he got hurt in the first year now we got to pay him for two more years or something crazy like that or give him an additional 15 million dollars in the buyout kind of like what the phillies ended up getting stuck with with cliff lee at the back end of his career Cliff Lee was super durable for a long time. He was a huge reason why the Phillies were successful for a good part of their, you know, division championship run, their World Series team, all the other things. But I guess when I look at it and add it up all together, I can see way more pros to bringing back Charlie Morton than any of the cons that are there. But I think they just are outweighed. And I think that's kind of what you're saying, if I'm reading this correctly. But you do have to wonder, and I don't think there's anything wrong with wondering a little bit about a guy who's turning 38 in November.
1: Exactly, and, and look at—I mean, look at the names that are on the the list for the free, the the potential free agents. Uh, you know, if guys opt out of deals and whatnot, going this this figures to be a really interesting veteran pitcher market. And I think the fact that you got to give Alex Anthopoulos a ton of credit here—that he went out and 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 got that out of the way now, because you know guys like Zach Greinke, Verlander, you mm-hmm. know Clayton Kershaw, Scherzer could you know could be out there. Uh, Marcus Stroman. I mean, there, there's all these names are going to be part of the potential 2022 free agent class for starting pitchers, yeah. all the while amidst the CBA negotiation. So I think to go out and get that part of it done now with a guy who's obviously comfortable being back in Atlanta and, and being in this role, I mean, it just, uh, again, just keep saying it makes a ton of sense. It makes a ton of sense, I, I think, for for both of them. One, for Morton to not have to sit back and, and potentially sit through what could be a really uh, rocky interesting uh, off season, depending on your perspective yeah. and for the Braves just not wanting to get into a bidding war amidst uh, you know all these veteran arms
0: yeah and think about this too and I'm not saying that Clayton Kershaw is going to end up pitching in another uniform because I don't think the Dodgers are going to let him go that's one given in that list but whether it's Max Scherzer or Zach Greinke or Justin Verlander who of course is coming off Tommy John surgery none of those guys really seem like pitchers the Braves would necessarily be after when you start to think about how they could all command I would say three to four-year deals, maybe more. I know they're all in their mid to late 30s, but they have the kind of pedigree where they're putting together their Hall of Fame resume. And I'm not knocking Charlie Morton by saying he's not going to be a Hall of Famer. I think we all know that. But when you start to look at the ways that the Braves needed to fit a veteran starter who's dependable into their 2022 plans for, I think one of the big reasons you laid out earlier is you don't know If you can count on Mike Soroka to be back, clearly we've seen that that can be set back and it can happen suddenly and very sadly as well. But I think that this was the guy that they already had in-house. They already knew what they had here and wanted to extend that. And I think that is why we saw this deal come together. And I think that this deal also comes together for a very obvious reason. The Braves decided that they weren't going to be sellers at the July 31st trade deadline because Charlie Morton, I think, would have been one of those pieces that could have gone elsewhere, but Atlanta decided to hold on. And I've seen some folks still questioning that decision to not sell at the deadline. And I really don't understand that. And we can kind of unpack this as we go. But with this extension for Morton, he's here to help this year and for another year beyond. And the same can be said for Travis Darno's new deal. And I think it's about building something sustainable. And that's what the Braves are trying to do here. And I also think, Corey, that this strengthens the case for Freddie Freeman's new deal to be coming at some point, whether it's this winter or before.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's the, like, underlying storyline with every one of these moves you make right i mean you just completely strengthen freddie freeman's decision and make it that much more of an alluring deal for him to stay put i mean you know you've got ozzy Albies under contract you know you've got Ronald Cunha jr under contract you obviously you know have guys that you could pick up options on next year to help Mm -hmm. out that that outfield jock peterson adam if they Mm -hmm. want to go that route and you know that you've got stability at catcher you know you've got a veteran presence Uh, on the mound there, along with all those young arms, I mean, I, I don't, you know, we've talked to him many times and we've, this subject has been brought up in his presence or we've brought it up to him many times. This is where Freddie Freeman wants to stay, but we also know that dollars have a way of making guys change their tune. And, but I think situationally he's going to have a hard time finding a better situation than the Braves are setting themselves up to be beyond whatever the final dollar amount is going to be on Freddie Freeman's next contract.
0: I still, to your point, don't really think that Freddie Freeman's going to find a place that checks more boxes for him than what he's already built here in Atlanta. And I think this from his days of looking up to the way that Chipper Jones spent his whole career in that one uniform, that's something Freddie Freeman very much wants to do. This is the business of baseball, though. both sides I think have expressed their interest. It may not happen during the season. It may be that distraction that everybody believes that it can be. And for some players, it certainly is. But Freddie Freeman has been on a tear the last couple of three months. Freddie Freeman has put together a great career in a Braves uniform. And I still think there's plenty of tread on the tire and interest in both parties to get that deal done. But the building pieces around him part, I don't think you can understate how important that is.
1: No. And, and to me, it's always been that. I mean, when we sat in those press conferences, when Ozzie Albi and, and Ronald Acuna Jr. had signed their extensions, That's exactly where my mind went. was, okay, you're basically opening up your checkbook for Freddie Freeman to make Mm -hmm. sure he's a brave for life. That's the secondary storyline that comes with these deals is now you've made certain that there is no way you let Freddie Freeman walk.
0: Yeah. And we talked about the timeline for that. That was before Freddie Freeman won an MVP award. Not that he wasn't an MVP candidate in a number of years, but the pieces have felt like that they're coming in place for quite some time now. So I think that seeing these kind of deals get done Travis Darnot not long ago and Charlie Morton getting done this week that's something that I think bodes well for what the Braves are trending in when it comes to spending and the fact that they have one of the best players in franchise history that they very much like to bring back for a long time to come Uh, look at what this road trip was for the Atlanta Braves and what's happened over the past week or so since we've recorded a show this Dodgers series was frustrating and felt a lot like a flashback to last October a loss is a loss, as I always say, but you do feel a little bit different depending on how it happens, what that final outcome is. Four runs, Corey, across these three games. That was the difference in winning a game or two and being swept. The Dodgers didn't run away with this thing, but these are the kinds of games that the Braves will have to find a way to win if they want to topple a team like the Dodgers and really advance through October and finally get to that World Series stage.
1: Every bit of that Dodgers team is just relentless. You know I mean? You look at, you look at the lineup, you think, okay, well... Bowers in his situation, but, and then they go and get Max Scherzer and he, you know, is looked better than he's looked in years uh, in Dodger blue now. And it's just, it's just scary. Right. I I think, you know, you, you mentioned people kind of saying, okay, well, if you're not going to win the world series and you don't believe you can win the world series, then why go through the rigors of trying to reload at the deadline and, and go through all this and just, why not just pack it in? I think that people who say that are the ones that look at this Dodgers team and just say, there's no way you mm-hmm. can't beat those guys. And I'm not saying that something's going to get flipped on their head. And all of a sudden the Braves and Dodgers are going to, it's going to look different in the postseason. I think the Braves can get to the second round. I don't know that they can beat this team, but I don't think that's any indictment on their season or any indictment on the approach that they had at the trade deadline. But These guys are really, really, really good, and they, you know, if they get back to full strength at any point in terms of the way that pitching staff is, I mean, it's just even scarier to think what they would look like in a postseason series.
0: It is, and it's you know that you're staring down a team that very much feels like it's built to win the World Series every year, and it's felt like that for most of the past decade, but it is worth pointing out that even the Dodgers, no matter how much money they had spent and pumped into it and the roster that they had constructed, It is very hard to win a World Series. They finally got over the hump for the first time since 1988 last year, so they have their own thing going on when it comes to winning the big one. They finally did so last year, and the Braves had this team against the ropes. Is this Braves team in 2021 better than the Braves team we saw in 2020? Are they about the same? Are they worse? I I think, Corey, I would tend to believe that the Braves right now, as currently constructed, are a little bit better than last year's club. I know that may not sound like something that makes a lot of sense to people, knowing where that club last year ended up a win away from the world series. But I do think even without Ronald Acuna jr, the Braves have found a way to put together a club that has the pieces it needs to have an opportunity to win some postseason series.
1: I would agree with that. And think about last year. I mean, you know, you have devolve is knocked out. You've got mm-hmm. to throw Christian Pache into the fire there and hope that you can get something out of him. Austin Riley obviously is not performing at the level that he's performing at in the 2021 season. Uh, You know, you make the argument your pitching staff is even deeper. There's, I don't think you're going to be in a situation where you need A.J. Minter to go out and start a game uh, in a series. I mean, this team in so many ways is is steps beyond where it was last year, even though, you know, they have arguably one of the top five players in all of baseball sitting on their bench uh, out for the season. And it still collectively feels like it's a team with a different edge to it. It's a team that so many of these guys have, Either won elsewhere, i.e., Jock Peterson, or they, you know, felt that they've been in a situation where they've gotten to that point with the entire roster last year and had it taken away from them. So I think there's a very different feel to this team, a much deeper team. Uh, it, I mean, it's would it be great to have Ron Lecunia Jr. Oh, yeah. out there in your outfield without question? But you can't tell me that that it, you know that this team doesn't have fewer holes than it had last year, even without mm-hmm. its best player
0: yeah overall i think there's just more quality depth there and i think alex Anthopoulos told someone on mlb network radio a few weeks ago it wasn't necessarily about finding a way to improve upon having ronald acuna jr then losing him it was about raising the floor on the level of player that they were putting out there they just didn't have people that could step up and be quality everyday contributors and they really took care of that by going out and throwing some numbers at this not just quality numbers in terms of guys who have been producers in the past but Guys that have come in and done exactly what the Braves have needed them to do as they've come over. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of those guys here in just a moment. But I want to wrap up this final road trip for the Braves, which also took them not only out to Los Angeles, where they lost three close games, but also it took them out to Colorado, which was a series, Corey, that I felt like was a little bit of a trap for the Braves, perhaps. But they got away from there, splitting the four games, as you said, with the Rockies, who were one of baseball's best home teams. In fact, they were baseball's best home team until the Dodgers swept the Braves, and then all of a sudden the Dodgers had a better home record. I can handle a sweep there in Los Angeles, but the Braves, they need to do what they've done so well in the second half. It started with splitting that series in Colorado, but now it's come home and beat the teams they're supposed to beat in order to hang on to this NL East lead.
1: Yeah, and look, one of the things I got most hung up on during this uh, Rocky series was not the fact that you're losing games on the road against, as we mentioned, one of the best home teams in baseball. It was... Ian Anderson, right? I mean, you're thinking about consecutive appearances for him now without a strikeout. He mentioned in that Rocky series that he just couldn't get a feel for the fastball. I, so Paul Bird told me one time. Everybody talks about how when you're in Colorado and you're trying to find a grip on the ball and things aren't working for you, maybe you overcompensate, you know, on your secondary pitches because you're not getting the kind of you know the reaction that you're used to having. He said it's never that he in his experience it was never that start where it was the problem. It was the next one yeah. or two starts because yeah. you have overcompensated so much. It's like, what's the, what's the react? The, what impact does it ultimately have on your body? So we've had back-to-back Rocky starts for me and Anderson. And now you're going to go into him having some question marks over these next couple. I think that's, that's a little bit concerning for me is that he didn't pitch well there. And now what's going to happen after that?
0: Yeah. That is a question that is certainly worth asking. And when I talked to Paul about this quite a few years ago as well, We all know that taking a pitching staff into Coors Field is not necessarily fun for the time that you're there, but it's exactly what you just talked about when it comes to what are the effects of the team, kind of a hangover effect almost of leaving that ballpark and now trying to just get back to normal after having had to go through that. I imagine that's a big reason why the Rockies disparity at home and on the road is what it is to some extent. It has to be what they have to deal with adjusting from playing at that mile-high location that they're at and then having to go all over the country and just play a different kind of baseball.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, it's very real, right? I mean, everyone wants to pinpoint the hitters and how much, you know, Oh, you can't read into that guy's splits. You know, you get his home splits and mm-hmm. I, you know, to, to me, it's, a, that's, that's the, the thing that no one talks about with Coors is not pitching there. It's what happens when you're used to pitching there and you go elsewhere. I think that would be a fascinating study for someone far smarter than me to dive into and, and what an impact, <laughs> You know, these pitchers, what, how much stress is it, additional stress is it putting on their arms?
0: Yeah, and that's something I think people have studied over time. I'm sure the Rockies have had a few independent firms go out there and study that so they can try to figure out how to get over that hump. But one thing that you look at with the Braves, putting Colorado aside for a moment, is uh, not only the, the fact that they lost some games there to the Rockies, but the fact that when you look at it, it was two more losses by one run for the Braves. They also tracked on two more one-run losses in that series against the los angeles dodgers and that brings the braves record in one run games to a not so exciting 22 and 26 well under 500 and i think that's one of the big reasons why we're looking at a division race that's as close as it is because the braves have had a lot of games in their grasp and then seen them go the other direction they've been really bad in interleague play they've been bad in extra innings as well and some of this is going to be some crossover i guess what i'm saying is if they're playing a one-run game that goes into extra innings against an american League team. It's about the worst scenario it can possibly be. But if you go back to 2019, the Braves were 28-16 and in one-run games. They were extremely good when it came to that. They were a winning team in extra innings as well, and they beat their interleague opponents. But I really circle in red their record in one-run games because it's, I'm not going to say demoralizing to lose a one-run game, but it's felt a little bit like a trend this year that one-run games really haven't gone the Braves' way, and that makes you a little bit nervous when you start talking about October baseball.
1: I mean, there's not a division leader who has more one-run losses than they have. I mean, they they have the they have the second most one-run wins. They've just played a whole lot of one-run games. Absolutely, They're about 52, uh, 58, uh, 58 in total uh, on the season. So 48. Um, 48, Yeah, I'm not a mathematician, man. I'm. I'm it just, happens you know, to all of us. Yeah. So, but yeah, they may, they've played more one-run games than anybody in baseball. So, I mean, I guess you could say from that end, if you play more one-run games than anybody in baseball, maybe you're probably going to have more one-run losses than anybody in baseball. But they have the second most wins. It'd be nicer if they had a better one-run winning percentage mm-hmm. uh, than they do. But yeah, I mean, you, we obviously know things are going to ratchet up in terms of the intensity, obviously in the postseason, but the quality of pitching, um, and that's where I think you kind of how how seasoned are you at winning those kind of games that we know are going to ultimately define the postseason
0: feeling like the way that you got there is something that you can continue to do and replicate in the postseason I don't think the Braves want to get to October and replicate one run losses it'd be pretty frustrating uh, as I mentioned in 2019 28 and 16 was the record so their winning percentage in one run games that is was 636 their winning percentage in one run games this year is 458 so about a almost a 200 point swing on winning percentage so to your point Corey yeah, they would like to win as many, no matter how many one-run games they play, they'd like to win more of them than they're losing, but that has been very tough for the 2021 Atlanta Braves to handle. Now, as we're looking at Colorado and the things that went right there, one of them was the return of Ozzie Albies. And he wasn't gone for long, but he had that injury scare against the Dodgers. Then he came back to put on that power display up in Coors Field. Thankfully, he avoided any major damage when he fouled a ball off his leg and was forced out of Tuesday's game. Albies was back in action in Colorado he's homered in three straight games I think the Braves have shown an ability this year to overcome injury but are extremely fortunate that they don't have to do so again here Ozzy Albies would be impossible to replace at this point in the year
1: oh without question I mean he's got four home runs in his last eight games you know he over a thousand OPS in that time period mm-hmm. um, you know we had talked before about just kind of how out of sorts he had looked being in that leadoff spot it just whether he was pressing or whatever you wanted to get into in terms of the reason behind it, but a guy who produces extra base hits better than nearly anybody and leads all of second baseman uh, in extra base hits since his first full season in the league, um, you know, it has been an absolute tear. And, you know, you and I have both mentioned this, me and articles and talking chop you on Twitter as well about this team and getting the 25 home runs from everybody in that infield. And mm-hmm. now it's a reality.
0: Yeah, they got there. Ozzie Albies was the final one who had to get to that 25-homer plateau. I'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but I wanted to really circle what kind of season that Ozzie Albies is having because he's been the kind of run producer that Atlanta hasn't seen much of at second base. With 89 RBI after yet another home run in that finale against Colorado, 26 homers on the season, 11 RBI away from becoming just the second brave second baseman in franchise history to reach 100 RBI, and I'm sure you're asking, What Braves second baseman had a 100 RBI season? Well, the fact is you have to go all the way back to 1897 when Bobby Lowe did so for the Boston Bean Eaters at that time. They were still 15 years away from even being named the Braves at that point. And Lowe owns the only two 100 RBI seasons by a Braves second baseman. So, Corey, you know I love stats. You know I love the history of baseball. And this pretty much got all the kinds of things that I like to find because Ozzie Albies is doing something that hasn't been done in about 130 years, somewhere in that range.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, this, you know, we knew it was going to happen eventually that he was going to establish himself as, you know, as, as one of the top offensive second baseman in baseball. Um, you know, clearly a guy has a silver slugger on his resume, you know, approaching a, a you know, four war season at this point. Um, you know, you mentioned that the power output, I mean, it's, I think when you look at, at the national league, I mean, it, it, I mean, it, it feels like you could put. I mean, obviously, Max Muncie is, you know, has had, uh, you know, fantastic power year with mm-hmm. thirty homers. You know, you've had, you know, Jay Cronenworth has has got twenty bombs. But I mean, he's just right there. I mean, it's it's he has certainly established himself uh, as one of the is one of the premier uh, power producing second baseman uh, in, in the in the last maybe the last decade. I mean, it's it's crazy to think like how much that position has changed. You know where you know from a, a stature standpoint, we know he's never looked like a guy who could do that. But when you you know you shake his hand and he's going to rip it off your arm, I mean, with that ridiculous <laughs> grip. I mean, this is a guy that, that very much it was made for this moment. And uh, you know, it, it's 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 been fun. We've talked about it many times. Mm-hmm. I've talked about it many times about watching these young guys grow up and and become. You know these players that they were envisioned to be when they came into this organization and to watch his growth i mean to, to establish himself in this way has been a lot of fun
0: and keep in mind he's only in his age 24 season another yeah. note about those rbi he's got 89 of them on the year that's the most by a brave second baseman since 1973. that was when davy johnson hit his 43 home runs he had 99 runs batted in that year bill Sweeney also had 99 runs batted in back in 1912 so a season that began just before the Titanic sank. That's how far you got to go back to find that. (laughs) And Hall of Famer Rogers Hornsby had 94 runs batted in in his lone season with the Braves in 1928. Those are the kind of names, I mean, at least Hornsby anyway, that you can say, wow, somebody hasn't done that since then. And then you go back before 1900 for a 100 RBI season from a Braves second baseman spanning about 125 years. It's pretty impressive things that Ozzie Albies is doing. Another result of that power surge, as you mentioned, Corey, is that the Braves infield made a little bit of history. That group of Albies, Dansby Swanson, Austin Riley, and Freddie Freeman have done something that only one other club in baseball has ever done, and that's all four infielders with 25-plus home runs as they joined the 2008 Marlins in a very small club. The Braves, though, are also looking to do something no infield in MLB history has ever accomplished. That's four men with 30 home runs around the horn on that infield, and they got a little over three weeks to get it done. Corey, I know that this is just one of those stats and one of those quirky things that's just kind of working out this way. But when you really stop and think about how much baseball has been played since, you know, the 1870s, the fact that this has never happened before says a lot about the production the Braves are getting from their infield from third to first. And
1: think about from the end of not having Ronald Acuna Jr., who was yes. stopped at 24 home runs at his injury. Think about you know the fact that you don't have you know Marcelo Zuna, who you know if you if you look at his. You know, production over uh, you know his full uh, his seven full uh, mm-hmm. seasons, he averaged 27 home runs during those seasons. Add those two into it, and you're talking about you know chasing down the the twins with with all time kind of power history up and down that lineup. But um, you know, certainly not having those two and the, the output they've gotten from that infield has every bit you know allowed them to to supplement it, but also allowed them you know to to go out and get the the multiple guys to try to fill those outfield roles and, and feel that, you know, you're an even better ball club overall. But um, it's been, I mean, it's just been wild to watch the, you know, this this infield deliver like this. And, um, you know, this is our, you know, our opportunity to talk about Dan Uggle because he obviously was part of that Marlins team that he was one of the ones that hit 30 home runs in that year too. So we'll see if they can. Uh, chase down history and take out that 08 Marlins club
0: he was the best player of course of those 08 Marlins was Hanley Ramirez hands down but when you try to name the other two players that were with him, I went around and asked quite a few people that felt know baseball well enough to maybe have a fighting chance at doing it and nobody was coming up with Mike Jacobs first and Jorge Cantu who was playing most of the third base over there and it is worth noting as this has been pointed out several times on Twitter Cantu was only one homer shy of 30 on that year so the Marlins almost had the four thirty 30 home run hitters around their infield as well but it's a chance for the Braves to do that and a big reason why they have a chance to do that is Austin Riley I think his MVP case is growing stronger as we roll through September I'm not saying that he's the hands-down favorite to win it I know it's going to be a challenge to overcome some of the name value with Fernando Tatis or Bryce Harper the season Max Muncie is having and there are other guys who are going to get votes of course for MVP but Riley has been a huge reason why The Braves are where they are this year and he's making a little bit of franchise history on his way to this breakout season because with his next home run Austin Riley can become just the sixth third baseman in Braves franchise history to hit 30 homers in a season. Eddie Matthews did it 10 times. Chipper Jones did it five times. Bob Horner twice. Darrell Evans back in 1973 and Josh Donaldson a couple of years ago. That's some pretty good company for young Austin Riley who is establishing himself with a breakout season the Braves very much needed considering everything else that hasn't gone right offensively this year?
1: Yeah. So this last week at Talking Chop, I wrote about Freeman and Riley and, you know, who really is the Braves' best MVP candidate, kind of looking at the case for and the case mm-hmm. against each one of them. And I found this interesting when I was thinking about Riley and a team trying to get back-to-back MVPs with different players. Yeah. So in the last 50 years, it's happened seven times. Um, you go back to 72 with the Reds with Johnny Bench and Pete Rose. Um, 73, again, the Reds did it with Joe Morgan and George Foster. The Brewers, Raleigh Fingers and Robin Young in 81-82. The Rangers in 98-99 with Juan Gonzalez and Pudge Rodriguez. The Giants in 2000 and 2001 with Jeff Kent and Barry Bonds. The Phillies in 06-07 with Ryan Howard and Jimmy Rollins. And then most recently, the Tigers with Justin Verlander and Miguel Cabrera in 2011 and 2012. The reason I bring all those names up is in those seasons, only one one time did the team that repeat also have a player finish in the top five in voting. And that was in 07 when Howard was fifth to Jimmy Rollins first. Huh. Freddie Freeman is going to finish higher than fifth in the MVP voting. So as much as you know, I know there's a growing sense, maybe Austin Riley could actually you know be a real factor in this. History tells us it's not going to happen, but it also tells us that the Braves could be in a very interesting place if it did happen because it, that's the rarity there, right? It's once in 50 years has a team had a guy win and the previous year's winner finished in the top five.
0: Great work researching all of that too. That's exactly the kind of stuff I love and exactly the kind of thing that keeps me on baseball reference and fan long past the hours in which I should go ahead and call it a night. But, you know, I don't know that Austin Riley is going to win the national league MVP award. I'm certainly not saying that he is going to be the guy or he's the odds on favorite, but he has certainly in the second half, strengthened his candidacy by being one of the driving forces. In the middle of the braves order but it is interesting when you bring up freddie freeman because the reigning mvp has been a big part of the Braves surge over the past few months as well as his season has finally gotten on track and you bring up a great point he is going to get a lot of support and being the reigning mvp this might cause that vote between the braves corner infielders to be a little bit split which would tell you that it would be pretty hard to have back-to-back mvps from the same club different guys back-to-back MVPs that's a great stat Corey and I had not even really stopped to think about how often that's happened but yeah that's what is it twice in the last 20 or 30 years and most of it all happening in the 1970s or early 80s
1: yeah and you know I think you also with Freeman you, you think about you know a guy who certainly has name recognition a guy who's uh, you know the you know he's the defending winner I, I kind of I always think about the MVP because I'm a I'm a Heisman Trophy voter there's kind of this thought that okay can you split votes in college football, but college football is so different because sure, sure. it's grouped up by region when, you know, in, we're obviously not doing that in, you know, in MVP voting or baseball's awards because it's based on percentage of, you know, the awards that you're, the, uh, the votes that you're getting And you know, you, it's, it, I think it's a reality because you only have so many spots on, uh, you know, on your roster, on your, uh, on your ballot. And I think that, you know, that's a real reality of, of splitting votes. I think that's why we've, We've rarely seen that second guy finish in the top five is because you you build up what's the expectation for you a year later. But I think the difference with this Braves team is that they rebounded along with Freddie Freeman rebounding. Think about back in May. I mean, at that point in his season, having the worst year of his uh, any full season he'd had at that oh, point yeah. in a year. And now he turns it around just as the Braves had. And now they're, you know, out in front in the National League East. I, I just think If they win this division, and whatever happens with Fernando Tatis Jr., who you know Vegas still tells you was the favorite with Max Muncy second, it's it's hard to imagine that most people aren't going to have that correlation and say, you know, what the leader of this team brought them back to being on top and being back in the postseason. I think that's ultimately, to me, why you know Freddie Freeman wins out over Austin Riley, who we know has been a revelation. I mean, there was a lot of people that were predicting a breakout for him. No one predicted this. I mean, this is beyond the scope of it, what anyone would have thought he would have delivered uh, this year. But um, I just think in a lot of ways, Freeman is is going to be the one that the, the success and the turnaround of this team is going to be tied to.
0: Yeah, I, I I can't disagree with that. I guess just looking at what Riley did and the fact that even if you were the most optimistic about what a breakout season for Austin Riley looked like, you weren't talking about getting into the second week of September and he's going to be hitting over 300 with an OPS well over 900 on pace for 35 home runs over 100 runs knocked in another 90 runs scored another 30 doubles his walk rate is up I mean a lot of different things have come together for Austin Riley he's still I think a little bit of a work in progress and a guy who is still young and his game can get better over the next few seasons as he really establishes himself as a big leaguer but again in your age 24 season I think that Austin Riley's shown the Braves everything they needed to see and then some and again is one of the big reasons why they are where they are right now Uh, while we're talking about power surges i want to talk about adam duvall who came over from miami and has done exactly what the braves needed him to do he's cranked nine home runs he's driven in 26 runs in 33 games since returning in that trade and he's now leading the national league with 94 rbi this season as of the games of monday duvall's 31 home runs on the year just too shy of matching his career high 33 set back in his first big league season or first full season in twenty sixteen and Duval has hit forty seven home runs over his past two seasons at six hundred and twenty two at bats. So it's a pretty good ratio and what amounts to about a season's worth of at bats. Corey, we knew it was going to be hard to replace the power of Ronald Acuna Jr., but Alex Anthopoulos threw together some pretty good deals for Duvall, for Jorge Soler and Jock Peterson to get the job done.
1: Oh, without question. And you know, if only Duvall had hit all those homers in a raise uniform, we'd right. be talking about even more uh insane overall power coming out of this team. But, you know, we know how much Duvall loves to hit uh, at SunTrust Park. I mean, you, you know, you look at anybody who has played, who has had 75 or more uh, at bats as a visiting player, and he has the highest OPS of anybody. Uh, this it's, I mean, it's, it's incredible what he's been able to do in that ballpark. And he's, you know, certainly been doing right. it again in the Braves uniform. I mean, that's why I love the comment that Anth- Anthopolis said on trade deadline day. he was like, you know, the fact that we don't have to play this guy anymore is, is one of the wins here. I mean, he he just does major damage yep. in that ballpark for some reason. And, yeah, I mean, and it's fascinating that he uh, – not that long ago, you know, he very much looked like a platoon player after his breakout season in Cincinnati. And, you know, he's just continually – he's one of those guys that it's like you, you look at him late in the season and the, and the production – sometimes it opens your eyes because you don't see it on a night-to-night basis, just those big moments from him. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, last year he had the three homer games, you know, two of those, but he's just one of those guys that it's just, you look at the overall production late in the season and it's just, he's one of those guys, you, I think in a lot of ways you just take for granted.
0: Yeah. And there's some highs and lows to his games. Um, maybe some feast or famine, if you want to call it that, which yeah. is not uncommon for 2021 baseball. He's not the only guy that's dealing with that kind of thing. As I look at Adam Duvall overall, and you mentioned how good he is at Truist Park, and I've made that meme, my own meme, the Duvall field one. It feels like Adam Duvall and Truist Park were just made for each other. So getting him back from Miami and being able to plug him in and have him in a position where he can help you make up for some of the loss that you experienced with Ronald Acuna Jr.'s production. And as you mentioned, Corey, also still trying to find a way to kind of patch that outfield together after losing Marcelo Zuna some months ago and not really getting anything out of your center field position to speak of, that's why this trio of outfielders, plus Eddie Rosario, who we've just seen come over, have a chance to give the Braves that depth. We haven't seen as much from Rosario as we've seen from Soler, and certainly what we know of Duvall, and we've had Jock Peterson around here since the middle of July. He got here before anybody else did, but it's a great group that all around gives the Braves enough depth to be able to mix and match and have the kind of production that they need, and Adam Duvall certainly. Is a big part of that. So, as we wrap up here, I want to take a look at what's happening for the Braves and the rest of the National League East going forward over the next week or so as Atlanta tries to hold off both the Phillies and the Mets. It's a great time for a nine game homestand that features some struggling clubs that Atlanta needs to handle business against. You've got three games against Washington, three games against Miami, and three games against Colorado. Now, the Rockies are a totally different team on the road, so this is where the Braves need to simply win the games they should because a long road trip that starts with the Giants and includes a stop in San Diego is waiting for them before they close out the month, Corey.
1: Yeah, this is a, a time period where certainly you need to pad your division lead while you can. I mean, you've got, you know, the next couple of days the Phillies are still going to be playing the Brewers, so that's an opportunity for you to build some ground there. You need to put the bad taste in your mouth left over if there's any left over from this road trip way in the past mm-hmm. and, you know certainly you have a chance to get Colorado here you know we'll see Ian Anderson's going to get two starts during this homestand so uh that storyline that I had mentioned I think is going to be key to watch here but be the teams you can you you should when you can and and you know and, and build that division lead because we know this has the potential you know when you think about that Phillies series is the next to last series. of the season uh, still looming there. What is that going to mean to this division race? You can make an almost null and void by taking advantage of a time period exactly like this.
0: Yeah, heading through the games of Monday, the Braves had a game and a half lead before they start this homestand over the Philadelphia Phillies. The Mets have also managed to creep back into a manageable four games. And of course, they have a three-game series with the Braves to end the season, do the Mets, so they just want to stick around just in case they have a chance to make this even more interesting. And they are back to 500 on the year as well. Braves have lost 6 out of 10, while the Phillies have won 8 out of 10, and the Mets have won 7 out of 3. As you look at what they've got coming up, the Phillies face the Brewers right now, as you mentioned. Then they come home to battle the Rockies for four games. They get the Cubs for three games. Then they hit the road for a head-to-head matchup with the Mets. As for New York, the Mets will be taking on the Marlins in Miami before they come home to host the Yankees for three games and the Cardinals for three games. That's going to be pretty tough, I think. And then that leads into that showdown with philadelphia so if you're the braves you want to be winning these games right now over this homestand that they have with some struggling clubs and hoping that the mets and the phillies kind of trade wins and losses because if they do that neither one of them is going to get that opportunity to make up much ground as they play head-to-head at the very least
1: and and certainly i mean the last week has not been good news for the mets i mean obviously there's some Some other stuff going on there off the field. But then you hear Jacob deGrom, if he comes back at all, it's basically going to be to be a glorified opener. Yeah, yeah. there's just a lot of bad vibes going on with the Mets. And then certainly after the Marlins, you've got to face the Yankees, the Cardinals, the Phillies, the Red Sox, and the Brewers. I mean, by the time they get to that Miami series in late September, right before they face the Braves, Who knows what they're going to look like in this division race because in so many ways things are not setting up for a positive finish for the
0: Mets. No, it's not. The Braves are going to have to try to win the games they can right now against some teams they should be beating, as we've talked about. And then, of course, at the end of the season, after the Braves have a nice little road trip, they'll come home and end things up with the three games against the Phillies that you mentioned, Corey, and then the three games against the Mets. So that last week could be very, very interesting. But if the Braves continue to take series, one after the other after the other, and play at least 500 or better ball on the road they have a chance to keep an arms distance between themselves i think and the phillies and it makes it harder and harder for the mets because we know this is the time of year where the calendar is not your best friend anymore you're running out of days and this is where i feel like you can look at yourself and think about the games that you have lost that you just wish you had in the win column at this point because you're simply running out of time
1: yeah the braves have a near 70 percent chance uh, right now to make the postseason so uh, we've talked about this before. Back in June, that was it's single digits, so it's a miraculous turnaround. It's certainly uh, an opportunity here to build on things in the next week and a half.
0: All right, we'll see how the Braves are able to do and, of course, what goes on with the Phillies and the Mets, and we'll be back to discuss all of that on the next episode of From the Diamond. As always, Corey, I appreciate your time, and I look forward to catching up with you again very soon.
1: All right, Grant, appreciate it.
0: So that'll do it for this episode of From the Diamond. As always, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. We appreciate those ratings and reviews, so keep those coming. If you want to connect on Twitter, I'm at Grant McCauley. Corey is at Corey J. McCartney. The show is at From the Diamond with an underscore on the end. If you're looking for every episode of the podcast, all the videos and articles and other things I've got for you, FromTheDiamond.com is the place for that. So that'll do it for this episode. As always, I appreciate you making From the Diamond part of your baseball podcast regimen, and I look forward to catching up with you next time as we talk about the Atlanta Braves and their quest to reach October once again. For Corey McCartney, I'm Grant McCauley. This has been From the Diamond, and we'll catch you next time. So long, everyone.